0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans on your feet. It's time
1: to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast, presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Today's guest, Luke Wyatt. Luke appears on the guest line that is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and a lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prized Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you are in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. Our question and answer session with Luke White is presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. My apologies for not having a podcast out earlier this week. It's been a difficult week for me with some personal things going on and also the start of spring practice. So we're in that segment of the year where you've got an intersection of spring football, baseball, and basketball, which leaves very little margin for error. And then if something comes in your personal life on top of that, well, there goes your week. And that's kind of been the way it's been for me. So with that, I would like us to do two to three more podcasts for the foreseeable future per week. And and hopefully we'll be able to pull that off. Sometimes that's a little bit different during tournament play when you're playing a game and By the next day, the podcast you just did is already outdated, but that's the plan. Just want to let the audience know what happened this week. Uh, That's kind of out of the norm for us. But anyway, with all that said, we hope you enjoy our show today with Luke Wyatt. Luke Wyatt joins us. Uh, This is the only podcast I've been able to do this week. It's been a long week for me uh, with a lot of stuff (laughs) personally and professionally. But anyway, I apologize I know that there's been a lot to discuss and I'd hope to have some stuff out earlier in the week but life has a different path for you some weeks and that's kind of where we are so with that Luke thank you for joining us we'll get people caught up on where Vanderbilt's gone in basketball and baseball since we did this a week ago.
0: Sure now uh, Chris first of all uh, uh, I'm thinking about you and your situations and uh, I hope everyone out there has patience with all this because we all have uh, things in our life that are much more important than sports and uh, uh, I know you're dealing with some of those right now and I'm I'm thinking about you
1: yeah thanks it's it's tough to watch your parents get old um, yeah anyway um, if you're Vanderbilt fans better news for you uh, Vanderbilt won a basketball game in Lexington last night in just a very improbable fashion first of all I feel like I've seen Vandy Kentucky play out the same way for about 15 years in Rupp. It's at Vanderbilt for the most part, goes up there, gives a great fight, leads well into the second half. Kentucky makes a charge in the last two or three minutes, and it ends in Kentucky's favor. It had for 14 straight times. And last night, I I was texting with a friend of mine who covers Missouri, And I just said, this feels like a game they're about to win. And in the back of your head, there's that little voice that says, wait a minute, I've seen this play out a thousand times. And it kind of always goes the same way. And when Kentucky goes ahead in the final minutes, you're just thinking, and, and the final minute, I think it was, you're just thinking, there it is. And Jordan Wright had the answer. Antonio Reeves missed at the buzzer. And Vanderbilt snapped a historic losing streak in Lexington.
2: You know,
0: Chris, and it's one of those things that I don't tell you the score of a game and I tell you situations that occurred during the game, for instance, obviously the Liam Robbins injury early on, and then Thomas and Studio combined over for 12 from the field. Well, if I told you just those two things, you'd think, well, Kentucky won by 20 or more. But when you uh, take into consideration how hard our kids played and how much they battled You know, and I can say this since we won the game, I felt like there was, uh, you know, several times Sheboy got away with murder on rebounds. Uh, I I just, the guy had one foul, and he's been more physical than any of our bigs were the whole night. So that kind of stuff, how we get out of there with a win, uh, two things, Jordan Wright, Tyron Lawrence, obviously. Those two kids played fantastic. And then you throw Ezra in there, who is just, It's just as consistent as can be, and uh, these kids – and it's one of those things, I think, too, where they kind of rallied and said, look, let's try to win this one for Liam because I know everybody was hurt by that. Uh, The kid battled injuries his whole career, and uh, I'm just really happy for the whole group because, you know, when we were talking about this in a four-game situation, we said three and one would be great. We didn't think the one loss would be at LSU, and we certainly didn't think one of the wins would be at Kentucky. But that's why you play the games, and uh, a lot of good uh, good feelings come out of that. And uh, I don't know, you may know this, Chris, if the students are on break, uh, spring break or not Saturday, but I hope they're not because the gym could really be a fun fun place to be Saturday.
1: No, we're a week out from spring break. Good stuff, good stuff. Yeah, I remember, I don't know if people remember this, I think I said in the pod last week with you that I felt like they needed to go 3-1 and one in the last four to have a chance. I felt like 4-0 and probably would have done it, but I think what people missed in there, and I think I even said this maybe in a, a written piece this week, that if you are got to go 3-1, and one, LSU in a way might be the game you want to lose because... That means you've beaten Kentucky and beaten Mississippi State. Those are resume-building wins. I mean, look, losing at LSU's quad-three loss, but it feels like a lot of times the big wins weigh more than the bad losses. Look, I still think they beat Mississippi State Saturday. They're still on the outside looking in. I'd have to compare them to everybody else because it's always a comparative game, and I haven't done the deep dive lately. I still figure that's the case, but... Funny enough, they've taken care of, of one of the last two things remaining. And I think the state win, if they can get that, and that's going to be tough without Liam Robbins, especially with that particular matchup. We'll get into that in a minute. But anyway, here they are just very unexpectedly in that spot.
0: Well, yeah. And you know, you talk about that matchup Saturday, the Tolo Smith and Mississippi State's a very physical, good defensive team. <clears throat> Tough inside when you have Quentin and basically Dia as your inside guys, and then Stu having to play basically the four position, and he's, you know, he's not a physical guy really. He does his best sometimes. In fact, I've actually, that part of his game has gotten better, I think. His shooting has gone south, but his uh, rebounding and his work on the defensive end has gotten a little better. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to make for a another one of those, I think, nail-biter games where possibly it'll come down to the last couple of possessions again.
1: Let's not go further without rewinding the Kentucky game. Uh, Liam Robbins gets hurt. I'm, I'm afraid he's out for the year. I, I'm not reporting, just based on what I've picked up here and there, it seems like that's the expectation. By the time people hear this, there may have been an announcement on it. But in any case, look, I'll be honest, when, when he went down last night, and we're doing this on Thursday afternoon, I'm just thinking there's no way they're going to win up there without him on senior night for whatever senior night is worth. <laughs> if you're Kentucky. Well,
2: for Kentucky...
0: Kentucky is right. one of those teams that don't lose on senior night usually.
1: Yeah, but point is, I, I thought from that point on mentally, I'm just like, okay, there's there's no way, and that's what made that all the more impressive.
0: Yeah, I, I, I I'm with you. Uh, I told my wife I said, when it happened. I said, well,
2: I'm going to watch every bit of this because of the kids, but we're going to have to. First of all, you can't have the blue whistle, which you get a lot up there, and you can't have. uh,
0: You got to be able to shoot the basketball well, and and I felt like again, if you told me that uh, Thomas and Studi were oh for, I guess nine from three combined, uh, no way we win the game. But Jordan Wright stepped up big time, you know. And, And let's let's look at that for a second. You know, the thing that went down with Tyron Lawrence. And we're thinking, okay, is this the end of it it's after the, the blowout at Alabama? And then Tyron doesn't play because he had, had some problems in practice by smiling or whatever it was that he we went through. You know The way these kids have responded to that, you have to say, he's pushing the right buttons because they have certainly responded. And again, it happened again with Jordan last night after the situation against Florida.
1: Yeah, look, I know he got questioned for the Lawrence thing, but you coach. you got to take control of your team. I, I never heard that there was anything unfair about now, It seemed a little nitpicky maybe, but the kids have obviously responded to him. That's four years in a row he's not lost the team out of four being in Nashville down the stretch. They're always playing their best basketball this time of the year. There was a lot of talk of disharmony, the mass transfers out in other places. I never heard that. I'm not saying that didn't exist. I just never heard that. Right, I, I mean, look, I've happens. had my I've had my issues with Jerry Stackhouse, but he's got his team playing hard. He's had his team respond to adversity in a really tight spot, and and frankly, I thought he drew up a really nice little thing there on that last set of the game. I thought he handled that pretty well. I now, mean, look, if I want to pick bones with last night, I thought he left Melora Brown out too long. I don't know if that ended up being the right move or just a move that worked out, but However you resolve that question, Jerry Stackhouse deserves a lot of credit. Now, he, he also deserves some blame for the first three months or two months or whatever it is, but he also gets a ton of credit for how he's handled the last month.
0: Well, yeah, and I think this, you know, we talked about it, I think, on the last podcast. It can be both, and it is both. The uh, the poor um, showing in non-conference, which has is, is, is kind of been a pattern that. He looked at those as exhibition games, so to speak, and I think he learned a hard lesson if we don't get in this year that you can't do that at all anymore, and you got to really pay attention to who you schedule, when you schedule them, who you schedule over exams, and when you maybe even look at somehow not playing a game during that time. I've always thought, why do you not play? Just play an extra one, maybe play three games in five, six days or something, and not play an exam week game. I don't know if that can be done uh but you know those that's just as important as winning these conference games and we're seeing that right now i have uh all respect in the world for his coaching ability have nothing bad to say about it the the ancillary stuff is what needed to be fixed and i think he's going he's on his way to repair that uh if he does and he stays at vanderbilt whether he wants to stay on his own or not, or take a pro job, or whatever it may be, I think Vanderbilt could do a lot worse than Jerry Stackhouse.
1: I'm trying to look ahead a little bit at um, it, it projected standings. Um, before we look at that, I want you to offer, because I'm, I'm going to pull that up, and I'm going to need a second, I want to let you um, offer some thoughts more on last night that we didn't get into.
2: Well, I, I, again, like you like
0: you said, and you felt the same way, and I think anybody that's true to themselves would have said when Liam went out that hey, we're going to be uh, the chances of us winning this basketball game are uh, slim and none, and Slim just left the building, yeah. and I, and I, I felt that way too. But again, it was it was because of our dogged determination that we won the game. It wasn't. And, of course, obviously, Jordan playing his best game of the year probably. Um, But Tyron Lawrence getting to the rim, you know, he just does what he has to do. You know, I think Tyron's one of those kids that is a mellow, chill kid and sometimes needs to be pushed because he has NBA capabilities, in my opinion. Because he can get to the rack and create his own shot. He's
2: got a good enough three. And I will say this. (laughs) and over this season, but one of the best luck shots we had
0: last night was the one he hit the three-pointer that hit the flange and fell straight in. That shot was a total missed shot, and it went in for a three-point basket. It was a huge basket in the game. And then, of course, Q's three <laughs> right before halftime, which was a beautiful thing to see. I think he's more proud of that than any of his taking charges and rebounds. He was, uh, he was so excited to hit that three.
1: That was a good-looking three off his hand. I mean, like, as soon as he shoots a three-pointer, I I said to my son when the ball's in the air, that's not the shot you wanted. Uh, But it was about perfect in the way it was executed.
0: You know what's amazing? The first shot he took in the year was a three that he made against Memphis, if you remember that. I remember when he made it, I think it was from the corner, and I'm thinking, you mean Q is now shooting threes? And, of course, he didn't shoot, but I guess what? six or seven more the year if he's shot that many and he's made three i think in his career but uh, that's interesting the first shot of the year was the three that he made uh, and then 29 games later he makes another one
1: i think you're confusing him with somebody else uh because he was oh for one for three against against memphis. excuse me he was oh for one on three against memphis he'd only shot three all year shot one against alabama
0: well, when did he make his other threes? Then I guess I don't there was I no other
1: three he's made. That's the first one he's hit his his whole career, oh, including I, rice. I, I thought,
0: well, what did I see last night that he was three for three for eleven his career from three? I, I don't know where. Maybe
1: yeah. I'm looking at Ken Palm. They <laughs> they don't have him attempting another three in his career, um, other than but, the other two know, he's shot this year. But
0: well, if I'm he, wrong, I'm wrong. But. I will say this. You know, he mentioned – Q mentioned on the post game with Kevin Ingram that uh, he and Liam – Liam has gotten him, helped him with his shot and that they've been working on it uh, in, in the gym and that he said he's been making a lot of them. So, <laughs> who knows? Maybe he can add this to his repertoire.
1: Okay, I'm looking at Ken Pomeroy right now. Uh, his projected standings, he has got – Alabama seventeen and one, Texas A and M fourteen and four, Tennessee twelve and six, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vandy all tied at eleven and seven for fourth place. I've already done the math on this a little bit. Missouri gets the the four if it plays out that way, and I think yeah, Kentucky gets the five because it's one and one against Vanderbilt, so then it goes to the top of the standings. Neither team beat Alabama. A&M has already clinched the two-seed, and so Kentucky did beat A&M, which Vanderbilt did not. So Vanderbilt would be tied for fourth, but the sixth seed if all the favorites went out. I say favorite. Vanderbilt could not be a favorite by any less of a margin on Ken Palm, which has got... The Commodores is a one- point favorite, but a 50 percent shot to win, which means whatever his decimals are factoring the home team, and they, they've got to be like one-tenth of a point favorite to win. Now the flip side to that, too, is that's also calculating with what Robbins has done, but on the other hand, hey, the way they're playing and the way they' just played in Lexington, I don't know that I'd bet against them right now either.
0: Well, uh, let me ask you that then with that. Uh, I understand I, I, I agree with what you just said. If Tennessee, Kentucky both lose and Missouri wins, because Missouri's got the easiest path with playing Ole Miss at home, uh, what would, how, where would we fall then? Say that again. Uh, if Tennessee and Kentucky both lose but Missouri wins, where would Vanderbilt fall?
1: Um, well, that already factored in Missouri winning, and that also factored in Kentucky losing, which Kentucky plays at Arkansas.
0: So the Tennessee losing doesn't matter if they lose.
1: No, it, well, Tennessee is projected to win. Now, in a four-way tie scenario, yeah, you know it's funny. I actually figured this out already for another endeavor I did. If you have a four-way uh-huh. tie between Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, and Vandy, here's your scenario: um, Missouri wins the four-way tiebreaker, gets the four seed. Kentucky gets the next one by virtue of being 3 and 2 against those teams. Missouri is 3 and 0 in that four against a four team group. Vanderbilt is next at 2 and 3 and Tennessee is next at 1 and 4. So that would go at that point. Alabama 1, A&M 2, Missouri 3, Kentucky 4 and Vanderbilt 5. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Okay. So really, I well. think you'd almost rather be the sixth seed. If you are the six, then here's your draw. You get the winner of 11-14, and 14, which if the favorites pan out, it's Georgia and LSU. So you get that one, and then you get the three the next game, which under that scenario would be Missouri. Under other scenarios, it could also be Kentucky. It could also be Tennessee. But the important thing is you stay out of that Alabama half of the bracket until the title game if you get the six and not the five. And that also holds true for the seven, which I don't know if they can be the seven or not. Let's see, that would be –
0: They can't be the seven because they'd win the tiebreaker with Auburn.
1: Well, it depends on if it's a single tie, then, then yes. If it's a multiple tie, which would involve Missouri losing to Ole Miss in Columbia, doubtful to happen. Yeah. Um, them losing to Mississippi State and then Auburn winning over Tennessee, then you've got a three-way tie at ten and seven. And um, let's see, we know Vanderbilt is O and excuse me, one-and-one against those two teams. We know that Missouri beat Auburn, or beat Vandy, and Missouri lost to Auburn. So everybody looks like in this scenario is knotted up at one apiece. So then you go back to the top of the standings. Um, None of those teams beat Alabama. So A&M is your next team. And... A&M, let's see, beat Missouri, beat Vandy, beat Missouri twice. So, well, that was, does, does Vanderbilt win the tiebreaker in that scenario by being 0-1 against A&M instead of 0-2? Yeah, it's kind of
0: like a half-game win,
1: yeah. Uh, I, never, I never thought about that scenario. Well, Auburn's also in there. And Auburn, let's see, against Texas AM. Also lost two, so isn't that weird?
0: So Vandy, I, I guess.
1: Camping. I guess if that's how you break the tie, Vandy wins a three-way tiebreaker in that scenario by virtue of being zero and one against a M instead of zero and two. That's right. That seemed that that doesn't seem right, <laughs> but that may be how that works.
0: That's yeah. I think that's it because what else could it be?
1: Yeah. So anyway, but I mean, then you know, let's see, but. So, fourth and then, the then you get in the top half of the bracket with Alabama, right? Correct. Which is not really where you want to be. No. So, really, I, really, what you want is for Tennessee to win, I think, and be the three. You want, um, yeah, because you really just want to tie with Missouri because then then you lose that one and you get the six. It's, it's all weird.
0: Yeah, we'll know here in about 48 hours, so. Yeah. But we're anywhere between fourth and sixth. Yeah. And I think, you know, Chris, you were talking about scenarios for them to get in. I think it's obvious we've got to win three more games in a row. I think we have to beat the state. We have to win our next two after that. And then you can see where other upsets don't happen or do happen. All the other things that are involved in it, um, the small conference they only get the one bid leagues. It may get a second bid. All of that stuff factors in, but if we're at least in the conversation for sure, if those if we win the next three, and it's going to be a tough order without Liam.
1: Well, and I think I think they need to win out and make it obvious because if it's between two teams and they're dead even. And I'm not saying this is fair to Vanderbilt. It it just is. It just pours salt in the wound. But if the committee's trying to put together the best tournament and two teams are even, and Vanderbilt doesn't have Robbins and whatever team it is tied with in the eyes of the committee has a full deck, then you know who's going to win that one.
0: Yeah, that's and I I brought that up actually on the last show. We uh, how it factors in, like Tennessee losing Ziegler, so with him out for the year will they fall to possibly a five seed instead of a
1: three or four? Well, Tennessee, and I don't want to go in a rabbit hole, Tennessee's got an interesting case because it loses Ziggler, but it also gets back two starters in Phillips and James who haven't played a lot lately. So but they don't it have sort of get some additions, too, in addition to that subtraction.
2: Unless they bring the red drop that Edward, I remember the kid's
0: name, the freshman going to be the point
1: for most time him rashack. Yeah, Edwards I don't I think Edwards has played this year a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit. So uh in fact he played he played against South Carolina 2 games ago. So anyway, we'll we'll take our, our detour off Tennessee. I'm sure the audience loves that one. Um <laughs> anything else on hoops before we get into baseball? No, uh,
0: again, just uh, I hope the atmosphere is like it was in Florida at least Saturday. And now that you've told me spring break doesn't start until after Saturday, we we should have a great, great atmosphere Saturday. So get on out there if you're a Vandy fan and because uh, I don't think state will bring a whole bunch of people.
1: Yeah, first game in Memorial in a long time this late in the season that has some meaning.
0: Yeah, big time.
1: Okay, baseball. Vanderbilt got a really nice series win over UCLA over the weekend. Uh, was down what seven to two to Austin. P came back and won that one eleven to seven. So really good week going three and one. How are you feeling about the baseball team at this point?
0: Uh, good. I think uh, you know there's there's two or three guys on this team that uh, they're not hitting yet, and they, and I just feel like they're going to hit. Being Enrique, uh, Shrek. And then I think Parker is hitting okay, but I think he's got another level he can jump to. I noticed the other night he went to left field twice with a hit one time and maybe he got another hit. But when he starts going to left and left center, that's when he's in a groove. So I think those three guys, when they get rolling, along with uh, R.J. Austin, who's doing great, and, of course, Fast Time, who right now is the best hitter on the team, and Matthew Polk, then you've got six good bats in there. Diaz is making much better contact than he did last year. His average isn't up there yet, but uh, making much better contact. And we actually saw a Jack Bulger sighting with the bat in his hands the other day. I felt like he had two really good at-bats in that Austin P game. So uh, once the bats get going, again, I think we're going to f- figure out that we've got 10 good pitchers. We do have to figure out our midweek starting situation. Uh, Patrick, again, was not effective. He was wild. Um, they hit him and then, uh, you know, I, I feel for Patrick, uh, but it's, it's time for him. He's a senior. Uh, if he wants that role to at least be the Tuesday or midweek starter, he's got to be better.
1: I'm looking at the stat sheet. Strikeouts have been a, a big point of complaint in recent years with the fan. They, they've struck out 63 times in nine games. Which is not year. a lot in college baseball these days. It's seven a game.
0: No. Anything less than 10 in a game I, for us would be great. I think, and, and we're striking out opponents at what? Around the 11 or 12 mark.
1: They've struck out 106. So, yeah, that's, um, that's about, about 12, 12 a game. game.
0: Yeah. So I, I'll take that right now the rest of the year. Uh, seven and 12 would be fine with me. Uh, of course, it's going to go up some when we get in the SEC and you've got those Friday night arms and so forth. But uh, right now, I'm, I, that's probably the most pleasing thing about the offense is con- they're making better contact, more contact.
1: Yeah, if you want to nitpick two things, um, maybe you'd like to see the contact being a little harder. Perhaps that is a trade-off between not striking out is, is swinging for a little less power. Um, but you're just yeah. trying to put the ball in play. Yeah,
0: you're, you're right. But when you put it in play, and we saw that in the Austin P game, good things happen.
1: You know, right? Because, right.
0: Because of our team speed, you know, there was two or three plays of the night it directly uh, the errors of the rush throws by Austin P was because of our speed, and we've got uh, we've got that. We got a lot of kids that can run.
1: Yeah, you beat me to it. Um, that went over UCLA at the end of the year. I think that series win is going to be big. That that's two back-to-back weekends where they've done things that are going to matter with the committee when it comes to seeding and hosting and yeah, and all those things. So that's a big deal. By the way, UCLA and of course the teams that it's played haven't been outstanding. It got in three games against Omaha, 16 runs, 23 runs and 8 runs, gave up 101, beat Pepperdine 11 to 2. And then it's only other game that didn't involve Vanderbilt to beat Michigan out in L.A. on Wednesday, beat them 9-4. to four. So UCLA has been pretty impressive when not playing Vanderbilt. Again, you know, that's including three games against Omaha, which I would presume is practicing in freezing temperatures and probably practicing limited amounts of time. At this point of year, it's, it's very windy and cold in Nebraska in, in February, if you can imagine that. But anyway, for whatever that's sure. worth, I, I do think that UCLA series win is going to be big come year's end.
0: Well, you know, the one thing that we're, we're basically, and maybe there's somebody else in the SEC, I haven't studied all the schedules, but because we will play what, what, is, what amounts to 13 SEC weekends. You've got our 10 we normally play, and then you've got what we did in Texas, what we did against UCLA, and then you still got Louisville, who's ranked, and Maryland, who's ranked, that will play as well. So, you basically, you're playing three weekends that are almost conference level competition. Now I know Minnesota hasn't won a game. Nebraska's like 3-3-1, three, three, and one. Uh, but Maryland is ranked, and I think had one win over Ole Miss. So, Uh, it should be interesting. We need to win two of the three in this weekend.
1: Yeah, and I I think they can do that. They catch Maryland on Saturday rather than Friday. They got a stud on Friday that you don't want to see. So, there's that. And, of course, Maryland played at Ole Miss last week and won the Friday game, dropped the final two.
0: Right, and I think Unless I'm mistaken, isn't the first game Friday off for uh, Ole Miss and Maryland again? I think I saw that on uh, the schedule. first
1: game. The first game Friday, unless they're playing on a different field, Vanderbilt plays Nebraska at 11.
0: Yeah, I know we do. I'm talking about Ole Miss and Maryland. Uh, oh, and got again.
1: you. Yeah, I, maybe so. Yeah. Yeah, I
0: think it's uh, – yeah, and then, then, like I said, Minnesota, the host team, is 0-8. Um but the reason I make that comparison, and of course you know me, I'm gonna always go to the Tennessee comparison. They're playing absolutely nobody, and then they got Gonzaga, who's one and seven for a three game set at home this weekend. So they're not they're not gonna get tested
1: until they get in league play. Gotcha. Yeah, but that boy, that's a weird dynamic of the schedule. Vanderbilt is gonna be on the same field with Missouri, Arkansas, and Ole Miss three teams it plays in the SEC before it plays any of them
0: yeah yeah exactly
1: I I love their schedule I really do it's it's fun because it feels like they're playing meaningful baseball every weekend back to the pitching thing they've got to be thrilled with how it's worked on weekends with Futrell and Holton and, and Owen I know that Owen's capable of a little bit more than he's shown and Holton was a little wonky on the first start, but you feel like they're in good hands. You feel like Nick Maldonado, my goodness. Remember when Landon Sims was pitching for Mississippi State a couple of years ago? Maldonado is, is giving him that kind of just – it seems like it's over when he enters the game kind of feel right now.
0: Yeah, once he pitched four innings four and hadn't been touched yet. So
1: He's pitched five, He struck out 11, he's given up three runners. And all of them have been walks or singles. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. You, if you keep that up, you'll be the best reliever in the conference, but, uh, uh he's stuck he looks like his old self. Uh, yeah. you know, they were calling uh, two years ago. I remember, uh, sent behind Kumar's daddy and someone sitting with Mr. Rocker was calling him the doctor. They were calling him Dr. Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there is a, in the house. So he's back to his form and I hope it stays that way.
1: Now they've had some issues throwing strikes outside of some of those guys. They ran into some trouble with that. You talked about Riley. I just wonder, maybe that gets fixed at some point in his career, but you wonder out of the gate, is it going to be this year when you're seeing the same thing you saw in the past? And then Sam Laboke, that poor kid, has given up now four home runs and five and a third innings pitched, and you just wonder – Command is his thing, command and control. Sam Labokey, peak Sam Labokey, could just kind of put the ball wherever he wanted to. And when you give up four home runs and a double, yeah, I I don't know that I've seen all the pitches that he gave up home runs on. I I think when he's pitched a lot of times, I I just happen to be doing other stuff and listening to games. But that's usually indicative that you're missing spots. And sometimes first year pitching back from Tommy John surgery, that's the way it goes.
0: Well, you're 100 percent right, and and Sam, it, it's it's unless I think unless I'm wrong, three of the four have been on Haines, and that's the last thing that comes back. Your speed comes back, but I, I, my understanding is that that's throwing breaking balls and location is the last thing to come around. So, you know, and he can be good. You know, he he was great the first 20 or so pitches against TCU, right. and then it's just like. Then he couldn't throw it anywhere he wanted to throw it. Um, but I think that, you know, the more he takes bullpens and the more he works with Brownie, uh, he can get that corrected. I, I certainly am not giving up on Sam Laboki. I think a, a nine-game sample size after being out for two years, uh, we're going to need to see a lot more of him.
1: I'm curious who gets the midweek start next time, whether that's Grayson Carter or whether that's Patrick Riley.
0: Yeah, I am too. Uh, let me ask you a question, Chris. I don't have knowledge of this. Is, is Jack Anderson okay? Because he had not gotten in a game yet. You I know, as, like as far
1: as I know, he is. I was thinking that the other day. Now, I, I think he'd not been super, super sharp in in okay. preseason workouts. But I would, I would think maybe something has popped up the last week or two. I wasn't at Sunday or Tuesday's games because of family stuff. Right, but yeah, he, uh, that that yeah. might be a question to ask. Yeah,
0: that one and the other other two pitchers that haven't pitched that are healthy is Colton Regan and uh, the other freshman J.D. Thompson.
1: Thompson, yeah, and I, I think those two were were far down the list in terms of being able to help them now. So okay, yeah. So we
0: still got thirteen guys, uh, and I, like I said, if you can get ten of them to. to their maximum ability we're going to be just fine
1: well here's the other guy we haven't talked about bryce cunningham i mean cunningham's been right there with maldonado in terms of effectiveness
0: yes absolutely you know he and uh he and uh grayson carter look i don't know how much weight they put on and muscle they put on but they look like different kids they look more like men than kids out there now
1: you know, the other one, and we haven't seen him much lately, David Horn looked pretty good the one time I've gotten to see him play. From my understanding, he really came on in February. And the the word that I got before the season is he'd put himself in position to help. So that's another one to watch.
0: It is. And, and I will say this, Ginther had a tough outing. I forget what game it was, but he looked a lot better against Austin P.
1: Now, again, it's Austin P.
0: but yeah. – they had a couple of, I don't know whether they were JUCOs, but they had a couple of grown men out there swinging the bat the other night. Um, yeah. And uh, Infer did a good job against them.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, if you look at it, you feel like Futrell, Holton, and Owen. Owen's pretty good rotation. Now, my concern is when the weather gets warmer, Futrell is more of a fly ball pitcher, and the ball's going to carry more than it has. And here's another thing. Devin's not exactly been pinpoint with his control. He's walked six guys in, in ten innings. Uh, you would expect it to be about half that, so there's that to watch. But I think you've I mean, you got to feel pretty good with the three they're putting out there on weekends right now.
0: Uh, I do, and what I really feel good about is the backside of that. When one day you may have Schultz, one day you may have Maldi, a couple of those days on a weekend SEC series, And then you also have Bryce Cunningham to come in and maybe even Grayson Carter at times.
1: Well, here's the other thing, too. They're going to get tougher as the year goes on because these guys are going to get stretched out and they're guys, I think, that can throw deeper in games. I mean, we Mm -hmm. have seen before Holton go nine. I think he did. we've seen Futrell go nine in a game last year. I know Holton threw a complete game, I think, in a seven inning. I think he's done it nine, though, too. Uh, or he's come close. I know he's gone deep in the games. I know he did it a couple times. Did it in the SEC tournament last year against Ole Miss. So, in you know, Hunter Owen, his Hunter Owen's stuff is really good. I don't know that people appreciate that yet. But man, his stuff is that um, he had a couple pitches going on Saturday in that UCLA game, and and they were having a real tough time with him.
2: Yes, um, you know I think
0: the biggest key decision that. Corbs and Brownie have made is the Schultz-Maldonado dynamic. And you throw Ginther in there because you got Ginther-Schultz as bridges to get to Maldonado on the weekends. And I think that's really, really key. And gosh, like you like I just said, with Bryce Cunningham and possibly Grayson Carter giving an inning two, they can come in and max out, blow it out, and, and get you three outs, you, you should be able to – if you're starting to give you five or six solid innings, You should be, uh, and you got to lead, you're in pretty good shape.
1: Okay, I always like to count innings for weekends, okay? And and so let's do this exercise. I feel like they can count on Holton for six. Some nights it's going to be more. I feel like they can count on Futrell for six. So that's 12 so far, and you got to get through 27. Um, Although that could go lower this year with the 10-run rule, it could go higher with extra innings. You throw in Owen, let's say five conservatively. Um, I think Owen can go more, but sometimes he struggles a little bit with his control. Uh, And he's a high strikeout guy, so that lends higher pitch count. So that's 17 innings right now. you got 10 more to go. Um, I feel like you can get probably three out of Maldonado. Let's call it two. That gives him 19. You can get two out of Schultz. Two more. That gives you 21. Um you can get an inning out of Ginther. That gives you twenty-two. So you got five innings to go. You can get you can get three from Cunningham. That puts you to twenty five. So that gives you you gotta find two more between Horn, Dukanich, Grayson Carter, Grayson Moore. Um that sounds pretty you know, good to and if they and if they want to throw Riley or Luboke, if they figure it out. When you look right. at it that way, I think you've got to feel – not that you didn't feel good about their pitching, but when you look at it that way, I think they're really tough to beat on a weekend. Now, look, some of this is going to come crashing down. Somebody's not going to be as effective as we think. Right. Uh, There's going to be a day one of these guys goes two and a third and it goes sideways or whatever. But point is, if you're setting those as baselines for expectations, and I don't think those numbers are unfair – they are in really good shape with arms left over for midweek.
0: Well, you you know the other day, and we've talked about this, Chris. We, in that first weekend, uh, some of the criticism, if there has been much of Andy baseball, would be that you're letting pitchers go too long. Well, Saturday yeah. uh, against the Austin, uh, against Austin P, that wasn't the case. Now Laboki comes in and gives up the grand slam, unfortunately, but he didn't go long with Riley. You know, it was it was time to go, and he went. So I think that's going to be key as well in these SEC weekends. With the arms we have, there's no reason to leave a guy in there that's struggling with control because you leave a guy in one batter too long, that turns a a W into an L real quick.
1: Well, and I think that's the right move. I know that they want to get their confidence with guys, but I've said this from the beginning, man, that they got a tough schedule. They, they got a really tough schedule. I mean, they could – there's no easy weekends. I don't know what Loyola Marymount is. Um, I'll look. They're 3-4 and four right now. But the WCC teams are usually pretty respectable. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, Loyola, let's see, okay, played three-game series with Oklahoma State, lost one 1-0, nothing, won 10-8, lost 11-1 to in, in seven innings. So I guess they ran out of pitching, but otherwise were – Right there, blow for blow with Oklahoma State the first two weekends. Look, in, in baseball, you could play well and be in the middle of a five-game losing streak in a hurry. And Absolutely. your margins for error and, – and here's the thing. I've been thinking this all along. You really want to be in good shape. And not, not that any of these series are going to be easy, but you end at Alabama, which I think is pretty good, at Florida, which we know is pretty good. I think Florida is the best team in the East – And then Arkansas, where the pitching is starting to fall apart, but Dave Horn, he's kind of been 1B to Tim Corbin's 1A in terms of being consistent. Uh, Kevin O'Sullivan's in there too. Now, there haven't been the the championships in Omaha, but Arkansas almost never misses the tournament. I think Van Horn's missed it once, maybe twice, and he's been in Arkansas I think one or two years longer than Corbin's been at Vandy. It could be a little mixed up on that, but I think I'm right you wanna be and oh by the way, two weekends before that you get a road trip to Tennessee, you know, in that Missouri series in Columbia. Missouri's no pushover this year. I've watched those guys. Point is like you've got to have a certain amount of wins to be able to host or to get whatever seed you want. I don't think you've got a lot of games to play around with, and you certainly don't want a midweek loss against an Austin P or somebody like that spiraling into you go somewhere, get swept the next weekend, and then and then maybe with your backs against the wall, you lose a mu- another midweek. I I think that patience with your pitching, given the depth of your staff this year, m- might not be the play as much as it usually is.
0: Yeah, and, and I think you're right, uh, Chris, about the midweek stuff, because uh, I want to go back to that. We've got to figure that out. Last year we had a luxury in Devin pitching on the week. He was great. He was lights out during the week, and you could count on that. I think we only lost to Louisville, maybe one other midweek game, or maybe it was just Louisville.
2: I think so, it was just Louisville.
0: Yeah, like that was just one to nothing. So you know, that's that's key for this. That's the big question mark to me right now, and that's the only question mark. I feel good. Like, we just went through the innings thing. Heck, we still got extras in there, extra innings. I think you could get 30-something innings if you have extra inning games. We've got enough pitching to, to lengthen out to that as well, I think. Uh, I, I'm just uh, – I, I, one other thing I want to mention about the hitting, I think this year we're not going to have anybody hit 15 home runs, but we may have five or six, seven guys hit between eight and ten. Yeah. I think that's what you see with this team.
1: Yeah. Well, and just to kind of wrap that up, I was concerned it would not have been hard for them to go to Arlington and lose two out of three would not have been hard for them to lose two out of three against u c l a Both those were you know there were some close games in there. You throw in a midweek loss to Central Arkansas last week. that could have very easily been what two and five out of the gate, and again, no easy weekends, so that was that that was big for them to get what they got for a bunch of reasons.
0: Yeah. That's what I'm saying. This has been a very ambitious schedule. We've already played two SEC weekends, basically in my mind, and we've come out with a yeah. four and two mark. So, you know, uh, and so we got to solve that midweek stuff. Uh, and I think next week we got what Tennessee tech and Evansville in the midweek. Yeah. So we got to solve that because like you said, you don't want to, and I know in the past, I don't know if it's still true, but Tim used to be more upset sometimes about losing those midweek games than he would be losing a conference series.
1: Yeah, look, if, if they're able to go 17-13 and 13 in the SEC, which won't be easy, oh. but it's certainly doable, you can go ahead and book yourself a weekend in Nashville for the first weekend of SEC tournament or, or NCAA tournament play, and you, you might be able to go ahead and book two.
0: You know, Chris, right now, too, if you ask me who are the two teams that will miss going to uh, Birmingham, I'm thinking right now it's hard to pick. I I mean, Mississippi State's had a lot of problems with pitching, and uh, A&M has not played great. Kentucky's been okay, but they haven't played anybody. I don't know who those two teams would be right now because I don't think Missouri's going to be one of them this year. I agree with you. I think they've improved.
1: Right now, I think Georgia and Kentucky are the worst two teams in the league. But worse is relative. I think Georgia's got an an old lineup that can really hit at times. Now, I think their pitching's – it was a question coming in. I think it's proven to be a question. But Kentucky went to Elon opening weekend and only gave up three runs all weekend. And Elon, I don't don't think, is horrible at baseball. I could be wrong. But you give up three runs to anybody – and that's pretty good. And that was on the road.
0: Right. Elon did win one of those games. I think they won the first one. They shut out Kentucky 3 nothing. Yeah, I think
1: that might but be right. You're right.
0: Yeah, but but you're right. Um, Kentucky's probably – that's why I'm saying it's tough to pick. It's, it's always tough to pick who's going to win the thing. It's certainly tough this year, more so than the years past. I think you always penciled in Missouri as probably not making it. But I don't think you can do that anymore.
1: Yeah, I think there's a lot of parity in this league. By the way, Elon is, let's see, Elon's four and five. I know we're getting on a rabbit trail here. I'm just trying to figure out who's good in this league and who's not. I think there is, I think there's a good bit of parity, one to 14. LSU to me is obviously the best team, and I think Florida is the second best team. But I don't know that between, I don't know, one and. One in ten maybe there's as much difference as people think on a given weekend. And I don't think whoever – at this point it seems to me that whoever misses Hoover, just to echo what you say, I, I don't see just an awful baseball team in this league. In a lot of years you'll see one or two right off the bat.
0: Right. Now,
2: strength of schedule, it has to be ours is the toughest. I don't know all the other – Uh, You
1: mean so far, or you mean at the the end of the year?
2: I'm talking about
0: right now, when we play our out-of-conference, from however many we play, who will have the toughest out-of-conference schedule? It has to be us.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at, um, and, and this is sort of a ridiculous exercise, but let's see. Warren Nolan does a predicted RPI. And let me see what he's got here. um, th- these are kind of crazy, but I think I remember looking at this the other day. Okay, I-, I think this is a little bit out of whack right now. Um yeah, okay. he's th- th- these change minute by minute. He's got Vanderbilt going thirty two and twenty three with a 14 and sixteen record um and a twenty one strength to schedule. There's there's no way they're going to have a 21-strength schedule. No, I, I mean, they, they, they are uh-huh. going to avoid LSU. They're going to avoid A&M. And A&M did lose a series to Portland. A&M also lost a series last year early to Penn and really turned it around. And they avoid Auburn, which is always a little better than people think. So I, I don't know at this point whether they're – I mean, you definitely don't want to play LSU, and I'm pretty sure you don't want to play A&M. So, I mean, they are – there's a lot of teams I'd rather um, play that they play than those three. So I think that the SEC is going to be tough no matter who you play, and they're out of conference portion of the schedule on the weekends. Is I don't know if there's anybody in the country that had a tougher schedule than them. I'd I'd love to know who that is. Right, right. All right. Parting thoughts before we end today. I, d- I didn't do a mailbag just for sake of time. I've been it's four thirty this afternoon I've been going since six thirty straight. So we are, we are running on fumes here this week at the Vandy sports podcast.
0: Well, that's understandable. I'll, uh, I'll be seeing you out at practice after spring break when they, you know, they're going to practice, I think three more times and then the kids will go on break. So I won't be out there until after that, but I'll see you then. Uh, and we'll talk, talk some football, hopefully, and see where we're at on that. And, uh, Like I said earlier, uh, one note on football, I feel like the biggest improvement on that football team is going to be the secondary. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that. I think that's going to be the biggest improvement, and everyone's going to be really – and part of that's going to be because I think we're going to have a little bit better pass rush.
1: You know, it's funny. I've been to the first two practices, and the energy has been different than I've seen it. There is open talk of bowl games when in the past it's been – process 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 that tells me they've got some expectations this year uh, I've talked to a coach or two off the record you can just feel a palpable difference now look fans love to take that stuff and run with it and I think that's overrated sure. uh, but if you want to know that's that's what I'm seeing and and yeah I mean I think it's I think it's going to be interesting and, and by the way we won't talk any football today and I probably won't talk much on the podcast but plug for our site if you're not paying ninety nine dollars a year and subscribing to the site, you're missing a ton of stuff there. And we are giving fairly detailed practice reports uh, when we're there, which is most of the time I think I've now been to, I don't know, 20-something practices in a row between fall and spring. I will skip Saturdays uh, because I've got a conflict with baseball, and I'm going to cover a a meaningful game over a practice. But if you don't subscribe to the site, we're giving you a lot of insight on football there too. Absolutely.
0: Uh can I say one more quick thing about football? uh, you bet. before we go. I feel like, you know, when Clark first got there, we were at the bottom of the heap, obviously. And we stayed that way his first year. He was just like he has said himself, 'cause you're still stripping down. You haven't even started your foundation. So by the end of the year we got had gotten a little bit better. The South Carolina game, Missouri game, whatever. Um uh, Last year, and we get those two SEC wins, I think you're now moved to where you're in those bottom four teams still. But you've moved up. You've taken that next step. I think this year you take that next step where you're possibly anywhere from seven to ten in the conference. Now, we're still light years away from the top two or three teams, and we saw that last year. Those were the three blowouts. So I think that's where we're at as a fan base, which means – we should be talking bowl. We have a chance to go to a bowl.
2: Now, obviously, that they, they can guarantee anything. you still got to win the game. to be, already be at that at year three. Luke, I think I
1: lost you there. Uh, but if not, thank you for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Chris. Have a great night.
1: You bet. Thank you.